I'd invite you to take your Bible to John chapter 17 and look there with me. We've been studying the prayer of Jesus, the Lord's Prayer, the high priestly prayer. And uh, he has given this prayer in the presence of his disciples. It is a great study to be able to remember and consider the fact that as Jesus prays to the Father, he stands there with his eyes lifted to heaven and he's talking to his Father and the disciples get to listen So not only do we study the fact that he is praying, but we get to study the content of the prayer. And hopefully within the course of this day and and tonight, we're going to be able to wrap that up in the sense that not only do we understand what Jesus is praying, and possibly it can be a model for us, but we can also understand the content of the prayer and uh, know how it's supposed to not only minister to the disciples in the context, but also minister to us. And as we talk about prayer this morning, uh, just think about the fact that it's interesting how sometimes God answers prayer differently for different people. Uh, I'll just take last night's game as an instance. If you are not a Penn State fan, you probably believe that God answered your prayer just exactly the way you were praying. Because in your mind, God's not a Penn State fan either. If you are a Penn State fan, and you were praying for a miracle, you probably feel that God didn't answer your prayer last night. If you're a Penn State fan and you're a realist, you were praying like me, that we wouldn't get blown out. Now, you see, out of all three of those situations, I'm the only one that really got his prayer answered. Because if you're an Ohio State fan, you cannot be proud of that game. You just can't. If you're a Penn State fan and you wanted to win, you're disappointed, but you're not brokenhearted. And if you're a realist, you're like coming out of there saying, yes. We didn't look bad on national television, and, and next year when all the scholarships come back, we're going to be back in the thing of things, and things are looking up. We're not on life support. We've got a future in Big Blue Nation in Penn State. Can I get an amen in the house right there, okay? <laughs> That's a silly illustration. Think back about the Civil War, though. You can go back and look at the Civil War. There are tremendous saints that were a part of the battle and the war between the states. There are godly men in the South. There's Robert E. Lee, a firm evangelical believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he would quote, uh, I think it's Psalm 146 in the morning and, and ask the Lord to strengthen his hands for battle and that he might have the victory. And there was Stonewall Jackson whose faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the sovereignty of God was so strong that in the very first major engagement of the Civil War, he sat on his horse and his aides tried to get him to come down off the horse. And he said, no, I am as safe here as anywhere else on the battlefield because one of these bullets will not hit me. It will not take my life unless the Lord has already appointed it. And so he was so convinced of the sovereignty of God that he felt as safe on the horse as he did anywhere else on the battlefield. Brothers and sisters, there are plenty of believers in the South. They're praying for victory. And there were plenty of believers in the North. And they were praying for victory. They were praying for victory because they thought it would be good 
for the union and for the abolition of slavery. And, and this is not a political sermon at all. It is to prove a point that you can have two, three, four hundreds of believers praying and all asking God for different things. And when he answers that prayer, somebody is going to get what they were asking for and somebody isn't. And yet God answered all of those prayers. Now the interesting thing about Jesus when he prays is that the Father answers the prayer and he is still answering the prayer today. That's what we want to see. The Father answers Jesus' prayer and he will always answer Jesus' prayer exactly the way Jesus prays it because they are one in essence and they are one in in who they are as nature. They are distinct in personhood, but they are in agreement in attributes. They are in agreement in who they are as God, the very, the very being of God. And so Jesus prays in this passage, and one of the things that I want you to understand is that when Jesus prays, God continues to answer that prayer. God is still answering that prayer today. There are four key words that are going to take us through the text that show that God is still faithfully answering the prayer of Jesus. Here's the first word. The first word is identity. It's found in verse 15, and this is kind of by way of review, and this is what I want you to know about the word identity. The truth of the gospel brings about conversion. Then this prayer, Jesus starts out praying, and he prays for himself that he might be glorified with the glory that he had before he left heaven and before the creation of the world in actuality. His prayer moves on from his self and, and the focus of glorifying himself and the Father giving him that glory. And then it switches and it is directed toward the disciples. And he prays for their protection in verses 10 through 12 that the Father might keep them and protect and preserve them. As he continues through the prayer, he says to the Father, I have given them your word in verse 14. And the world has hated them because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. One of the essence or one of the most important things about the prayer is the fact that Jesus wants the disciples to understand he's leaving, they're staying, but the very protection that he offered them in the course of three years of ministry, that protection is going to continue through the ministry of the Father, through the Holy Spirit. He's going to go back to heaven, but the Father will continue to protect and he will continue to preserve. Part of that prayer, though, is understanding the fact that there is a a distinction between the disciples and the world. They are different. Their identity is this. The truth of the gospel that Jesus brought into their life has converted them. They've had a change of mind. They've had a change of life. They now believe that Jesus Christ is Messiah. Peter's great confession, Jesus says, who do men say that I am? Well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. Who do you say that I am? Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. A confession of faith does not come out of Peter's own mind. The father reveals that to him, but that is a statement, an expression of faith. It's infancy faith. It's a faith that's going to grow. It's a faith that's going to mature. It's a faith that's going to have some bumps and bruises along the way, but it is a faith. John 
tells us why he wrote the gospel. It tells us that he wrote the gospel so that we could know that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, is the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life through his name. How you can have a relationship with the God of heaven through Jesus Christ. The prayer of Jesus reminds us that these men have believed in him, and thus they are not of the world. Christ has taken them out of the world and brought them into his kingdom. If you keep your finger there in John 18, I'll give you a couple of other passages to be able to compare theology a little bit. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Let's just look at the whole prayer that Paul gives to the Colossians here in verse beginning in verse 9 he says for this reason also since the day we heard of it we've not ceased to pray for you to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Okay? Another, another way of saying that followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are not of the world. There is a new identity Another passage you could look up on your own is 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, where we're called to proclaim the excellencies of the one who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I think it's great to be in the light. And there are some characteristics that are true of people who are in the light in the Gospel of John. Jesus says those that are in the light, those that have come to know the light, are marked by love. John 13, 34, and 35. By this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. When we get to chapter 15 and chapter 17, we see another identifying mark or characteristic. It is joy. When we abide in Christ, when Christ is our source of strength, our source of of power for service and ministry, Jesus says, uh, I'm telling you that if you abide in me, your joy will be overflowing. A third mark, characteristic, an identifier of those who belong to Jesus Christ is found in chapter 17. They're marked by a life of truth. They're also marked by a life of holiness. And they will be marked by a life of union and unity. It's interesting that one of the ways that uh, we show where we belong and, and who our affections or our loyalties lie with is by what we wear. We love uh, apparel that advertises in some sense. That's why name brands sell so much, whether it's Under Armour, uh, if you're into that, or Real Tree or Mossy Oak, if you're into hunting and camo, or whether you're into advertising your favorite sports team. Last night in the stadium, it was a whiteout the way that you showed you were identified as a Penn State fan as if you were wearing a white hoodie or a white t-shirt. 
How do we show identity with the Lord Jesus Christ as you come into the New Testament? Well, the first thing he says by way of application is this. You get baptized. But from there, you grow in your faith and you observe whatever he's taught us. And we begin to see things like what are the identifiers in the Gospel of John? There's love and there's joy and there's truth and there's holiness. And if these things are evident in our life, they help to serve as identifiers. Just like a varsity jacket, a letterman's jacket can identify you with the school and make a statement about your abilities and your contributions to the athletic program of that local school. So too, the fruit that comes out of your life, the fruit of love and joy and truth and holiness, they help to serve as identifiers that you have been converted, that you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus prays for that. The second thing that he prays about is our maturity. Notice verses 16 and 17. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Maturity. The truth of the gospel of God's word should produce sanctification or maturity. In other words, we're to be different in the way we live here in this world. Truth changes. It helps us to grow. And truth is important because only God's word can produce holiness. That is what the Spirit uses. The Spirit uses the word of God. That's the only way you can grow in Christ-likeness is if you are spending time studying the word. If, you're, if, you, if you think of it this way, Christ has given us the words of the Father. He's given us the scriptures. When we study the scriptures, we have the opportunity to sit at the feet of the master teacher. And we can listen to him as the Spirit gives us understanding and helps us to apply the truth. We are being taught by the master teacher. And that truth is what God wants to use to produce maturity and holiness in us. If you're a newborn babe, you need the milk of the word. If you're struggling with temptation, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You need the bread. If you need to grow and get deeper in your understanding, like Hebrews 5 says, you need to move beyond elemental things. You need the the meat of the word so that you are no longer being taught, but you become teachers. If you need the the soul quenched, the, the thirst of your soul satisfied, you go to the well that gives out the water that that satisfies the longing, like Jeremiah 2 says. If you need the sweetness of Jesus, if you need to be reminded that it's worth following Jesus, you go to the honey of the word, like Psalm 19 says, and you're reminded of the sweetness of God's grace and the pleasure of His mercy, and that it's worth it all, like Paul says in Romans 5. You and I, because we've trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, have been justified, and he says, we have a hope that will not disappoint That is sweet. I'll tell you one thing, that's sweet for Harriet this morning. And that's sweet for Pastor Ryan to have a hope that does not disappoint. See, it's the Word. It's the life-giving words that produce holiness. That is what the Spirit uses. And real growth can only result 
when there is study and application of the truth. I know some of you are are people that appreciate good food and good meat. I I never I don't I hope I never forget the time I first got to experience a black diamond steak. Uh, I think it was at Bethany Kinley's wedding reception. <clears throat> That's the only time I've ever experienced a black diamond steak. Come to think of it. But you know, there's a reason why black diamond takes so good. It's because of of what they do to get it ready. Because of the marination. It's it's because of of all of the spices and the ingredients that go into that. Sometimes in order to get a really good cut of meat, not only does it soak, but sometimes it's put into a an environment where it's pressurized so that the flavoring is just forced into the meat. It just it just gets all the way through. That's a good piece of meat. I learned a long time ago working at Nichols Village as a prep cook back as a sophomore in college. Uh, I was in a part of, a, of the restaurant business that did catering and would watch and, and they would take these long pieces of meat out called London broil and we would have to take a meat fork and just really uh, fork that meat like you were stabbing it to death. Not just once, but hundreds and hundreds of times. You filled it with little holes and then we marinated it in Italian dressing for at least 24 hours before it ever hit the grill. And then when they would cook that to a a medium rare or medium and they would slice that thin, why, it's almost as good as chocolate. You know, it's good. Uh, But the way that London broil has got to be cooked for it to be really good for the average person is it's got to be tenderized and it's got to be marinated because otherwise you can cook it wrongly and it'll be tough as shoe leather. Do you know that in order to produce holiness, in a sense, one of the struggles with the American church is that we're in such a fast-paced life. Things are so frenetic. We're not soaking. We're not marinating. We, We just don't enjoy Jesus long enough for it to even get into the pores of our soul. Jesus' prayer is this. The Father has to answer this prayer. Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. Make them like us. But the method is the truth. That's why, if you think I've got a bandwagon, if you think I have a broken record in my stack, you're probably right. It is the centrality and the importance of God's word. Because you won't be like Jesus apart from it. And that's the second part of of this prayer that's so critical. The first is identity, and the second is maturity. Let's not forget something. A life that is marked by ongoing sin hinders others from coming to Christ. You can't have hypocrisy and expect the witness of the Word to be as powerful Because that's the transition that Jesus makes in the passage. Because in verse 17, he says, To sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. And then he continues to go and he says, As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me, 
through their words. I want you to see the third word this morning. It is mission. Let me explain what I mean. The spread of the gospel, which is God's word. The spread of the gospel by changed people is God's method for reaching more people. God is in the business of saving people. And the method that he uses is to have saved, changed people talk to others with the life-changing message. Transformed people who give away the life-transforming truth. Sanctify them in truth. Change them so that they become more like you and me. Why? Because just as you have sent me into the world with a mission to redeem people, I am sending them. God's method is to send out witnesses. That's us. People who have been changed, transformed by the truth, who bear witness to other people that they need to meet the Savior, Jesus Christ. There's some very important things that go along with this. Christ was given a mission, and now we have been. I wish we really believed that more. I wish people spent more time asking the question, when was the last time I introduced somebody else to the life-changing power of Jesus Christ? I wish less people felt comfortable doing nothing except just coming and being a part of a group on Sunday morning. I wish more people felt a sense of urgency for family and friends and neighbors. I wish they really believed that hell was real. I wish they really believed that holiness mattered. That I wish they really believed that, that hypocrisy weakens our witness because what we say and how we live aren't matching the way they should. Jesus says, sanctify them in truth, thy word is truth, because just as you have sent me, I'm sending them out there. And I want you to know, this is the prayer that the Father is still answering, because he says in verse 19, first, for their sakes I sanctify myself. Well, for someone who is holy like Jesus is, what does that mean to sanctify himself? It means that he is fulfilling the purpose that he was set aside or set apart for. He is going to the cross. He is going to pay the price for sin. He's going to be buried. He will rise again. And that will accomplish redemption, full salvation for the disciples and for us. It will secure the salvation for the Old Testament saints and the the people who believed in God and in his word before the flood the people who will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ during the tribulation and in the kingdom. Jesus' death on the cross certifies and secures salvation for all those who will believe the message and believe in faith. Jesus is set apart and sanctified for that purpose, and it is on the basis of his finished work on the cross that he can say, I'm going to do that so that they themselves will also be sanctified in truth. And now he is speaking not only to the fact that he wants them to be holy, but he wants them to be on a mission. He is setting them apart to be missionaries. Verse 20, I do not ask 
on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word. You understand that verse 20 is about uh, you and me and others. I'm just going to call this person out this morning because I know I can. And there's somebody else that has a birthday this week. Today, in fact, that's Jerry. Jerry Brown's got a birthday today. He's older than me. Ha! But even more important than his physical birthday is his spiritual birthday. And as Jerry tells his story, his mother-in-law had a profound impact on him not only with her witness verbally, but with her lifestyle and her faithfulness of prayer and, and just being consistent in, in the approach of living out the Christian life. Well, everybody in this room who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior has a story. Somebody told you, for me, it was my dad and my mom, and for you, it may be somebody else. I mean, I've heard uh, Russ's story and Mr. Carr's story and Joanne Glace's story. And, and there's all kinds of stories in the room. 1720 is about the fact that the message did not stop with Jesus and it did not stop with the disciples. They went out. He said, you'll be my witnesses in all the world. It started in Jerusalem. It went to Samaria It spread throughout Israel. It went to the uttermost parts of the earth. It went to Europe and it went to Asia. And today we know P.V. Joseph because church history and tradition tells us that the apostle Thomas went to India and the gospel went to India. And and the gospel went to Europe. And a lot of us have uh, northern or middle European uh, ancestry. And we've got to be thankful that Paul carried the, the gospel to Greece and to Europe. And that when uh, Peter got to Rome, he, he was faithful in sharing the gospel. And John, when he was in Asia Minor, was faithful in sharing the gospel. And, and this is what's so exciting about this truth. John says, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. Well, that's the method. Our mission is to be people who have been changed by the gospel we've been converted and to realize that god wants the message to continue to go out this prayer is still being answered i'll tell you this this should impact us in a couple ways it should impact us that even though things might seem tough financially might might seem tough politically it ought to give us confidence because jesus is still using the word and he's still using the method of having people tell others about Jesus in order for people to be saved. He still uses that. He wants to use you. He wants to use you in your classroom. He wants to use you with your classmates and in college and at work in your career. He wants to use you with your family and your neighbors. You are not in charge of the results The only thing the Lord asks of us is to be fully committed to the gospel about Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, about being buried and being raised. Some plant, some water, but who gets the increase? The Lord gives the increase. The confidence is in the Lord. The confidence is in the God-ordained method. The confidence is in the life-changing message. Why? Because He's changed us. 
And so when Jesus prays, he says, I don't pray just for these guys, but I pray for others who are going to come to faith because of the witness of these guys. So this morning, those who have chosen to be here in the church house, the gathering place of Calvary Baptist Church, and you know Jesus as your Savior, you are one of the ongoing answers to prayer that Jesus prayed that night with his disciples. I pray for these men, but not only do I ask for these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word. The Father will continue to answer this prayer until the very last person has been reached at the end of the kingdom before the great white throne judgment. He will continue to answer this prayer through the life of the church, then through the tribulation period, and through the kingdom until the very last person has been redeemed. Now, I think one of the things that ought to do for us is it ought to remind us of the importance of the local church. It ought to remind us of the importance of of having a membership that's holy and committed. It It ought to encourage us to be confident. It ought to challenge us to embrace the message and it ought to motivate us as we leave here to remember that there's still a job to do there's a job to do in jersey shore there's a job to do in avis and and over in the valley and up the creek and in williamsport and over in rocktown and and anywhere in our region and around the world we ought to be about getting out the message of the gospel because the prayer is not just for the disciples it is a prayer about mission god wants to use us to do this christ's method as you work through this passage involves prayer and it involves discipleship going to all the world and teach the gospel baptizing them in the name of the father son holy spirit and teach them to observe whatsoever i've commanded you and in that teaching to observe the process is to continue it's to cycle back around People are to get saved. People are to get baptized and identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. People are to get spiritual instruction and get united to a local body. And they're to be about the mission. They're to be about telling other people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, don't let the good news stop with you. It doesn't matter how old you are today. But I'm just going to challenge you to begin praying and asking God, God, will you give me the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody and see them come to Christ before my life on this earth is done, please, would you do that? There is a mission that we have been given. Jesus says, I don't pray for just the disciples. I pray for all those who are going to come after them. Aren't you thankful that the message didn't stop with the apostles? Aren't you thankful you know Jesus as your Savior? I have to tell you that one of the greatest thrills you can ever have in your life is to see somebody else come to Jesus Christ as their Savior. <laughs> it'll turn your life upside down. It'll, it'll, it'll light a fire. Ask God to help the message not stop with you. We have been called to be identified with Jesus. We have called to mature in Jesus. And now we have been called to proclaim jesus let's ask him to not allow the message 
to stop with us. One of the things we're so thankful for as we celebrated the home going with Hugh and Harriet is just his desire to keep the message going and telling people about Jesus right to the very end of his life. Talking to nurses and, and people that would uh, come into the room when in the beginning of his stay at Gatehouse, just faithfulness. Uh, I, just, I just tell you that the Lord puts examples into our life not to motivate us by guilt, but to motivate us by joy, by confidence, by the example of others who have gone before us who have been faithful. We certainly have a number of examples in our church history. Let's not allow the message to stop with us. Would you pray with me? This morning, Lord, I thank you for answering the prayer of your son for the privilege of knowing Jesus as our Savior. And we look forward with anticipation to seeing him. And now we come and we ask uh, for help in becoming holy and also for help in being faithful as a messenger and as a proclaimer of your great gospel. Lord, thanks for saving us. Thank you for faithfulness of teachers in days gone by. Thank you for faithfulness through the years. But now we look at ourselves and we realize that this generation, we have a task and we need to be faithful so that those who follow us uh, might look and be encouraged. And uh, we're thankful that you are the Redeemer and you will be until your work on earth is done. And we will give you praise for all eternity at knowing salvation, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray these things now. Amen.